I am so glad you could join us. I'm your host, Mo Gaudat. This podcast is nothing more than a conversation between two good friends sharing inspiring life stories and perhaps some nuggets of wisdom along the way. This is your invitation to slow down with us. Welcome to Slow Mo. Today, I continue my conversation with Lynn Twist. Lynn is one of my favorite people on the planet. The first time I heard her speech on Wisdom 2.0, I wept, I couldn't keep my tears. She's an award-winning speaker, a fundraiser extraordinaire. She is a consultant, an executive coach, a global pro-activist, an author of the widely acclaimed book, The Soul of Money. Lynn is the co-founder of the Pachamama Alliance, founder of the Soul of Money Institute, and for over 40 years, she has been a recognized global visionary committed to alleviating poverty and hunger. She's put in tremendous effort supporting social justice and environmental sustainability, from working with Mother Teresa in Calcutta to the refugee camps in Ethiopia and the threatened rainforests of the Amazon, Lynn's on-the-ground work has brought her a deep understanding of the reality of our world and the historical landscape of the times we're living in. Lynn works closely with the Nobel Women's Institute, is on the board of Conscious Capitalism, the advisory board of Women's Earth Alliance, and is a member of the Conscious Leadership Guild. One of my favorite people, I hope you have heard our first episode. In this episode, we continue a fascinating conversation. So don't stop until you get to the end. So I want to go back to money. And I call money, when I worked on Soul for Happy, I said there were six grand illusions that basically destroy our ability to understand the world and solve our happiness equation, if you want. Sadly, and I don't say that a lot, but sadly, around a couple of months before I handed over my final manuscript, I was taken over completely by the fact that there actually are seven grand illusions. And one of them is what I call the illusion of money. And so I went out and I wrote the notes for a book that I will hopefully complete one day in my life and release that I call The Illusion of Money. And The Illusion of Money is very deceiving because we all follow it. We all somehow want to acquire more of it. We come at it from that, as you were just saying right now, from that point of view of scarcity, that I need to acquire as much of this as I can because it would run out. And I need to keep holding onto it and make sure that it doesn't leak from my hands because this thing is important. And that's an absolute illusion. Now, you talk about it by saying money has a soul. What's the soul of money? Well, I don't think money has a soul, but I think we do. (laughs) Of course we do. And money is a carrier. It's a current. That's why it's called a currency. It's like water. Water can make things grow, it can purify, it can cleanse, it can nourish. Or if it's carrying illness, it can kill. But water's innocent. It's what imprint we put in the water. Or blood, you know, when it's moving through the body, when it's circulating, just like money, it, everything's good. But when it clots, it can kill. And money, like water, when it's hoarded and held, it becomes stagnant 
and makes he or she who's holding on to it with such fear sick, actually. They can't really see. Just like water becomes stagnant when it's held. So I feel that we want to really connect money with our soul and what we long for for the world. That we look at money as a, you know, it doesn't belong to any of us. It belongs to all of us. It just moves around, like you were saying. Yeah, I love that. And so when it moves through your life, First of all, you want to be in the flow of money. That's important. You need it. But you use it to nourish yourself, do good things with it for yourself and your family, and then you pass on where do the most good, where it opens businesses that need to be opened now. But I know so many people who, after this pandemic, are really questioning their companies and what they're doing and why they're doing it. Yeah. Which is really actually scary but beautiful. I'm on the board of Conscious Capitalism, and I had a... I was so moved at a board meeting where a beer bottle maker company had abandoned, you know, shut down and all these employees, he was trying to pay them for a couple more months before he had to let everybody go. And then he, they retool the entire factory and they make ventilators from beer bottles to ventilators. And they're never going to make beer bottles again now. They're in a useful industry. They've retooled, redesigned. I had a caterer friend of mine who had 450 people on her staff and was all big, fancy events, opening the opera, opening the symphony, big, fancy, high end where the food is piled up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it takes, you know, forever to make it. And she realized she's done with that, those fancy events and those wealthy people and all those demands. She just wants to feed people. So she put her whole company to work feeding people who've lost their jobs and lost because they have all this food, they have all this wine, they have all this capacity. So she's now become not a food bank exactly. I mean, a food bank for now, but eventually she'll be just making sure people have good food. I mean, I've seen so many people realize what's essential, what's valuable to them. And so they're soulfully interacting with money rather than greedily interacting with it. And this mindset of scarcity that I write about and I, I can hear you write about, talk about, I call it the first, in your terms, illusion. I call it the first toxic myth, which I think is pretty much what you're Absolutely. saying, is this belief that there's not enough to go around. There's not enough. There's not enough time. There's not enough love. There's not enough sex. There's not enough money. There's not enough weather, the good weather. There's not enough. So I have to, and the second half of that sentence is there's not enough to go around and someone somewhere is always going to be left out. And if you think of that whole mindset, then it's almost responsible to accumulate way more than you need to make sure that you and yours, whoever you determine that to be, are not among those who are left out. Because somebody's going to be left out if you believe that. So then you will even accumulate for you and yours at the expense of those who left out and help them later once you have way, way more than you need. That's the source of this mindset of charity. You have to have way more than you need to be able to help somebody. That mindset is the mindset of scarcity. When, in fact, we have enough for everyone everywhere to have a healthy and productive life. We don't need to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's what Bucky taught me, Buckminster Fuller, that there's sufficient resources and there always has been and there always will be. And that doesn't mean I'm not denying that there's people without food right now and people without jobs, but I'm saying that the world has sufficient resources for all of us. It really is incredible. You know, Lynn, so I come from an Islamic background and there was a statistic once issued 
that if Muslims paid their zakah, zakah is like sort of like what we give out every year, and it's two and a half percent of the money that you've saved, the stagnant money that hasn't moved for a year. So it's not two and a half percent of your income, it's two and a half percent of the stagnant money that hasn't moved for a year. And the statistic was that if every Muslim gives their zakah, two and a half percent, there would not be a single hungry person on the planet. That two and a half percent of what we accumulate can feed the whole planet. And it starts to shock you because in all honesty, if you're rich and lost two and a half percent in the stock market, you're probably not even going to stop and look at it. Two and a half percent is not a big deal. And it's really, really interesting that we don't see it that way. We have that concept of I need more First, to show off. Second, to make sure that I'm okay. Third, to make sure that everyone I care about is okay. Fourth, to make sure that if the world collapses and there is an pandemic and an economic crisis and a world war, I still am okay. But the truth is the only way you can be okay. And, you know, people like me who lost, I lost Ali, even though I planned everything for him. The only way you can actually be okay is for you to sort of be part of that river of flowing, giving that can always give back to you when you need it to be given back to you. And, and it's really interesting. The indigenous people of the Amazon that I work with now, they didn't even know money existed. And exactly. it was so amazing to interact with people who didn't even understand money. It was mystifying to them because they could see that outside of the forest, that's what everybody was about. But inside the forest, they don't need money, you know, they have everything they need right there, totally prosperous. On any kind of a balance sheet, they would be called poor, but they're so not poor. But then they need to deal with the outside world in order to protect themselves. So we had to educate them about money. And it was just amazing. They would say, you can't hunt for it. You can't eat it. Why does everybody want it? You know, like, make no exactly. Because to them, their security is in the community. So you help me build my house in the forest. Exactly. You hunt and fish for me when I'm sick. I'll hunt and fish for you when you're sick. Everybody, the fabric of the community is the security. Everybody takes care of everybody else. And no one would ever take more than they need. Because if you take more than you need, they send you to the shaman, they think you're mentally ill. Because it's not even in there. They can't imagine it. Why would you do that? It was been so instructive for me to work with intact indigenous cultures in the Amazon. And it makes us look so nutty, you know, when we really... Totally does. But it's not even only there. I mean, my own country back in Egypt, until very recently, all that you cared about was that your neighbors were going to take care of you, your cousins, if you need anything, they'll be there for you. And so you were there for them. And that was the sort of the societal contract. It wasn't money in the bank and you didn't have to pay interest on that. You were simply expecting mm -hmm. that this will be the case. When you really think about some of the interesting challenges I see in the US around student loans, for example, it could be so easy to say, just bring money in and everyone gets educated like the Canadians would do. And somehow it works, but then there is no greed in it. There is no, I want to accumulate more. There is no, I want 2% on the money I give you now because that will make me be able to buy another car. Can I ask you a very blunt question? Are you optimistic? Do you think we'll fix all of this? I stand for possibility, which is a different, maybe a different answer. I am optimistic, but I'm what I call a grounded optimist. I'm not afraid to look at what's in the way of the world that I see. I call myself a proactivist rather than activist. 
<laughs> I love that. An activist for, not against. So I have a vision for the world, an environmentally sustainable, spiritually fulfilling, socially just human presence on this planet. And I know that there's a lot of things between now and that vision, obstacles that need to be unwound and dealt with, but not attacked. And this is a part of what I would call a feminine way of looking at things. I think the job is to hospice the death, the structures and systems that no longer serve us, and not attack them, not kill them. If you attack them, they'll resist. Exactly. It becomes war. But if you hospice, they are dying. It's so clear everything's dying. It's unsustainable. Our systems and structures are unsustainable. So if we hospice their natural death, just like a human being, they'll die. These structures and systems will die with dignity, and we will see the contribution they did make rather than attack them and invalidate them completely, while we midwife the birth of the new structures and systems that will serve us. And when I look at money in what you were just saying, here in the United States, the government has just unleashed trillions of dollars. I mean, trillions and trillions of dollars into the hands of people. And it's been unbelievable. And before the pandemic, just six months ago, we couldn't afford Obamacare. We couldn't afford Social Security. We couldn't afford free education. We couldn't afford Head Start programs. Then suddenly, we have trillions of dollars flooding into every single midsize and business and corporations in the hands of people. So it makes it very clear that we just create money. I mean, we create it with interest attached, yes, so that there's a scarcity that continues. But we can never say in this country again, we can't afford it. That's the problem. That's when I say the illusion of money, it's because really it can be created on a computer screen. And the only problem with that, of course, is it leads to inflation and other stuff. But these are all artificial problems that we've created that the people in the Amazon don't understand. At the end of the day, what do you need? You need enough work for everyone. You need enough resources which the earth provides until we destroy it, it continues to provide. And all of their additional layers on top of that are just numbers on a screen. Yeah. And that's really where the illusion comes in. I want to end with a fun question. I think a very important question. But before I do, I want to leave my listeners with a quick message. So guys, I'm trying to reach a billion happy. And if you're still here, you're enjoying this. So do what you're supposed to do. Leave a review. If you're on Apple Podcasts, you can do that easily right now. Teach others what you've learned. Share the amazing wisdom that Lynn has given us with others. And yeah, do the small actions on your site to reach others, to create an impact and to spread the message. I think it's, uh, it's important. I can never reach a billion people alone, so you have a role to play. Lynn, I'm going to end with the very light side. 53 years of marriage. How do we do that? Is that the question? Yes, how do we do that? Well, if my husband Bill were here, I would say, you marry Bill Twist. Oh, this is so beautiful. What makes Bill so special? What is he like? Well, he's the most wonderful man in the world, in my opinion. So that's part of the gift of our marriage. But we also, we're in the world together. He was very involved in the Hunger Project. He was a successful businessman, president of a significant company, and then... We started our foundation and got very involved in ending world hunger. And he played a significant role in that with me. So our, our marriage has a higher purpose than each other. Our lives have a larger purpose than our life starring us. 
We work together now with the Pachamama Alliance in the Ecuadorian and Peruvian Amazon to preserve the sacred headwaters of the Amazon and do educational programs all over the world. And we, we've always lived, when you have a vision for your life, when you have a stand, a commitment larger than your own life, then your petty little annoyances and problems, just they just disappear. When you're focused on yourself and whether or not you're going to make your marriage work and did he say that and why did he say that to me, it's not that we never get into those things, but they're so disrupt or let's say they're so petty compared to what we're up to with our lives. We're working to preserve the sacred headwaters of the Amazon rainforest, which is the source of the Amazon, which is the source of our climate system. We're, our lives are about creating an environmentally sustainable, spiritually fulfilling, socially just human presence on this planet. We don't have time to argue with each other. We don't have time to be pissed off about who didn't put the cap on the toothpaste. You know, we are, we have such a big purpose that our marriage is an ally and an asset to that purpose. And so we, we find our way and all couples don't need to have the same purpose. I'm just saying we're so lucky because we do. But I think your life just can't be about your life starring you. It needs to be a, your life is given so that you can give it, which is what you have done. Oh. And if you're blessed, that's because it's your opportunity to bless others. That's the point. Our lives are given to us. I'm a student of Brother David Stendelrost, a great Benedictine monk who has a website called gratefulness.org, which I recommend. And Brother David really has taught me that this life that I have, that you have, that everyone has that's listening to this is given to you. It's a gift. And any gift that you receive is yours then to give. And when you give your life, when you turn it over to something larger than your own, I don't know, whims and desires, that's really the source of happiness. Mother Teresa said, the unadulterated love of one person can nullify the hatred of millions. And I think that's true. I do too. But I know if I live my life giving and receiving love with every interaction, whenever I can do that, as much as I can do that, I'm nullifying the hatred of millions. And that is a life worth living. Everybody wants to make a difference with their life. And I have this principle, the principle of sufficiency that I think Bill and I both live from. If you let go of trying to get more of what you don't really need, it frees up oceans of energy to turn and pay attention to what you have, what you have to give. When you pay attention to what you have, when you make a difference with what you have, when you share and contribute what you have, your life expands. And that's the source of true prosperity. Or as we say, what you appreciate, appreciates. You are my favorite person on the planet. I love you. I love you dearly, Lynn. I love what you give to the world. I am so, so grateful for your wisdom. I'm so grateful for what you shared with us today. I'm so grateful for your endless energy to go to the furthest places in the world to make a difference. You're a true gem and a true example. And for all of you who joined us, thank you so much for listening. Be sure to follow me on social media. Search for Mo Gaudet, Slow Mo, Soul for Happy, or One Billion Happy. I know you've got a lot going on, but remember, 
there is always time to slow down. Until next time, stay happy.